So before we get started in today's episode, I just want to say that we are almost at a thousand plays. By the time you're listening to this, we probably have already hit a thousand plays of the Changeover podcast. So I want to thank each and every one of you that have listened to this podcast, that have shared this podcast, that have sent in tools to help other people who are listening. And I just want to tell you that you're amazing and that I'm really excited to continue to hear stories of you living your life on your terms. Here's an interview with my girl, Danielle Mills. I hope y'all enjoy. Bye. Whether you're comfortable where you are, but still wanting more, or you're dying to find a place of peace, a few consistent decisions is a sure way to begin changing your life. We're going to break down every important decision we make and how to stop letting life happen to us and discuss how to make it happen for us. Join us as we talk about your year of transformation. Welcome to The Changeover. Here is your happy host, Alana Sparrow. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of The Changeover Podcast. This is your host, Alana, and Today, I have a dear friend. Her name is Danielle Mills. She is the boss. If you don't know her, you can go ahead and Google her while you're listening to this podcast, but make sure y'all are still paying attention because when I tell y'all this girl is a boss, this girl is humble, this girl is like, she's so many amazing things. She's beautiful. Like, she's just, she's just everything all wrapped up in like one. And I'm really excited for y'all to hear her story. Uh, Danielle and I met back when I lived in Florida. We just both happened to know two really amazing women who happened to be best friends. I will tell y'all right there that that is why you need to keep dope people around you because it's like a little, it's like a little domino effect. Like you're dope and the people around you are dope and then they meet and then they build dope relationships and it just keeps going and... Yeah, I'm just really excited. And I would almost say that it's generational too, Danielle, right? Almost close enough? Yeah. Yeah, and it's generational from like the people that we know in common to us. So, yes, that is a thing. So, I have Danielle Mills on the line. She's on the mic. Danielle, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey guys, how's it going? It's Danielle. Um, really quickly, I just want to get it back to Alana. I'm really appreciative that she invited me on this podcast to be able to speak with you all. I'm so excited to be here. But a little bit about myself. Um, I'm originally from, from Rochester, New York. Um, I ended up coming down to Florida when I was about 10 years old because from a really, really young age, I was destined to kind of be a professional tennis player. This was something my father really, really wanted for me, and he pushed me to do this from the age, I started playing tennis probably when I was about three years old, so once I came down to Florida, started training extremely, extremely hard at this kind of really world-renowned sports academy, and kind of started pushing through that, and ended up becoming a professional tennis player, just really quick, Um, did that for about 12 years, after retiring tennis, I was like, what am I going to do with my life? So I ended up getting into real estate and working really closely with my aunt, who's a really high-power millionaire realtor in Jacksonville, which is awesome. And that's when I had the opportunity to meet Alana and kind of connect with her and kind of get involved with business and different things. But 
now I am living in Miami. I am a mindset mentor, which we're going to probably talk about a little bit later. And I'm just really excited to, to talk with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yes. My girl. Yes. So um, let's go ahead and get started. So you talked about how you started playing tennis at a very young age. And then yep. you went on to going, like, you went on to the school. Mm-hmm. So what a lot of people don't know, because I didn't know this, is that there are, like, actual, like, boarding schools for, like, athletics. How did you find out about this? Like, is this something you looked into because you were just so, like, super passionate about it? Did your dad look into it? Were y'all, like, both doing research? Like, who knew that these schools existed? a great question so my father has been a huge sports advocate his entire life and when he had kids he knew he wanted them to be involved in sports and he he really wanted a boy when I came out as a girl he's like all right if he's a girl (laughs) she's gonna play tennis and if she's gonna play tennis she has to go to the world-renowned Nick Voluntary Tennis Academy down in Florida and basically this academy this boarding school is the only or one of the first prodigy-producing academies where people can essentially live on the campus, train, go to school, and everything is focused around making you into into a professional. So he told me that that was going to be the plan, and I found that out when I was nine years old. And I tried it out for one week as a 10-year-old, and after I just absolutely loved it, so then we decided that I was going to move there full-time. And I was the youngest person to ever live on the campus at 10 years old oh my on my gosh. own. And it was a it was an amazing experience. Like, I wouldn't trade that for the world. It really taught me a lot. And um, I look back on those days like, wow, I can't believe I did all of that. But it was, it was incredible. He was the one. Wow, that's awesome. You know, like, you just made me think of how, um, I don't know which culture it is, but I know there's, like, there are different cultures where when their children are born, like, they kind of pick what they feel like they want their children to be, um, whether that's, like, a doctor or a lawyer. This was the examples that I that I heard about it. Um, but as the children kind of grow up, they just kind of, like, they continue to nurture them in that area of life. And right. that's what they actually end up growing to become as opposed to in, like, I don't want to say standard American culture, but it's just kind of like, oh, you know, do whatever you feel. And a lot of times people do that, and then you end up kind of like me, who went off to school to do, like, pharmacy at one point, And then I was like, oh, let's be a nurse. Oh, I don't want to be a nurse. Let's do this. Let's do criminal justice. Like, I changed my major so many times because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Right. Um. So, like, to hear that within, like, our culture, people are still, like, kind of helping set their children up for mom and dad. I'm not saying y'all didn't set me up for success. I'm a, I'm doing great all because of you. Thanks. I love y'all. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I had to do that sidebar because my parents do listen. Um, but just the fact that like other cultures I mentioned earlier, like just the fact that there's still people who kind of tell their children which path they think they should go in and kind of help groom them that way. And you're right. a perfect successful example of that so with that being said you became a professional athlete at 14 years old so you said that you wouldn't change that experience for like anything um how do you feel like that influenced you as like a woman so let me give you a little background of the question how I'm asking that so at 14 years old 
I don't know about any of the listeners, especially the female listeners, but I know at 14, I was like thinking about boys. I was thinking about, you know, like, I don't know, I would, everything else, but, you know, focusing on like an actual career or anything like that. So the boys, the makeup, the hairstyles, I was tall. I don't know if at 14, because I can't think about it, if I was still wearing high waters or not. God, I hope not, but <laughs> these were, like, the struggles that I had, like, back in the day. So, do you feel like you still kind of experience some of that stuff? Um, because I know a lot of women are also still kind of recovering from that, even in their, like, late 20s, early 30s, recovering from the things they experienced at that. I feel like you were on a track where you just got to focus and not have so many other distractions. Is that true, or is that just a misconception? That's a really good question. Um, as far as did me being a 14-year-old athlete kind of influence the way that I am now, I would say that by the time I was 14, I was already so ingrained with my skill sets, my thought process, my mindset already. So I was very, very similar then to how I am now. A lot of those things That's that awesome. I have now are really shaped back then and I think Mm -hmm. it's because from an extremely young age my coaches my parents everybody around me was grooming me to focus on one thing and one thing only and that is how to be a champion oh my gosh yes with that came a lot of discipline a lot of sacrifice and a lot of responsibility so from an early age I knew I wasn't going to get to do normal kid things but I didn't necessarily feel like I was missing out or that I wasn't you know, part of that because mm-hmm. my environment was so, um, my environment was so different where everybody around me was focused on the same goal too and everybody's striving for one thing. So I'm, I'm able to kind of look at it like this. I was able to travel all over the world at an extremely young age, which really shaped a lot of my viewpoints and my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't get to do like a prom or like a, a dance or things like that, that people like, you know, focus on or are really excited about. I didn't get to do a lot of those things, but I was being groomed and kind of shaped from a really young age there. And in regards to, like, being concerned about hair, makeup, and boys, always was concerned about hair because my hair was always crazy. So I was always trying to tame it and make it look nice for tennis and trying to figure out what to do because Mm -hmm. for you listeners out there, I'm a mixed girl, so my hair is, like, big and curly. And back (laughs) then, I was still self-conscious about it, so I was straightening it like crazy and damaging it like crazy just Mm -hmm. because I was trying to fit in. Right. Um, I I wasn't embracing my big curly hair back then. At that time, I was still all about the straight hair. Um, As far as makeup, I was really, really into that. And as far as boys, I definitely noticed them. I definitely had crushes on them and we in an environment that I was in I was traveling and training and in an environment where boys were always around all different ages <clears throat> but I knew in the back of my mind I would never have the opportunity to date any of them I could never bring any to my parents I knew that it would always be looked at as a distraction so I had mm. to kind of block that out and I wasn't able to like think and get excited about like oh my gosh this guy's looking at me like no I had to be completely focused because any signs of that would get me in extreme trouble my parents were very strict when it came to um my focus and what I was trying to do so I didn't really even get to enjoy that side of life until college <laughs> gotcha okay yeah okay but you like you still kind of went through like all the other parts so that's that's good so speaking of college you went to the University of Miami. So like yes. it's like a like a thing. The people can't see me holding up the U. 
<laughs> but okay, so what did you study? Um, I actually studied communications. Um, oh, that's back perfect then, when I was you. in college, I thought that I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. So, it's still something that hmm. I find really interesting. But back then, I was like, I want to go into sports broadcast. I want to be on ESPN. So, I was like, I'm going to study communications. And then, just being in that hmm. field, getting to learn all about all different types of communications, it was really beneficial for me because in all areas of my life I feel like communication has been the one thing that's kind of gotten me by and helped me stand out so I actually look at that as a major that is a really overlooked one mm-hmm. that could be a good one for people who um, are not really sure what to do communication is a great major because it covers all areas if you communicate with people you're pretty much set you know what I never thought about communications like that so I'm so happy that you said that because that literally puts into a completely different perspective. And you also kind of answered the next part of my question. So my next part of my, the next part of my question was honestly about to ask you about like focus. So in the business that you do now that we'll get to in just a few, focus has to be a really, really big deal. You know what I mean? Like you have to be able to focus to we'll get there like I don't want to give the people too much y'all hang tight so (laughs) at least not too much before we get there so my question was going to be along the lines of how were you able to manage like if you had a major of like math or liberal arts or something like that how were you able to manage and focus on your classes when that wasn't your passion because a lot of times a lot of people find themselves doing things that aren't their passion but they still have to find a way to focus on that passion and take care of whatever else that needs to be done. So I love that the thing that you actually studied in school happened to be something that still kind of benefited your goals where it didn't conflict with your love for the sport of tennis and being an athlete and things of that nature. They still went hand in hand. Um, And I think it's amazing that you were able to find that connection. Cause like I said, the average person probably won't think of communications and think about, it from the angle that you described. So right. That's beautiful. Um, next question is also going to link to your business when we get there, but this is actually the last one I have. That's actually not directly about the business and it's about your injury. And when you actually, um, retired from tennis. Oh yeah. Rough times. I can only imagine because you just said like that's what you did like from when you were like a child up until this point. So how old were you when you retired? I was 24. 24 like oh my gosh and you've only done tennis your entire life like how do you how do you walk away and what do you do next? Like what happens when you're at that point? Did you know? Like did you say I'd figure it out? Like what what was that like for you to go through that transition? Yeah, so basically the last four to five months that I played, I knew that I was either going to like have to retire or I was gonna have to continue to play with immense pain. So Guys, for those of you um, out there who've ever had knee pain before, imagine that times 100. Uh, I ended up having 
two torn meniscuses in my knees and having some bad knee surgery. And then I kind of came back too prematurely because of some pressure to kind of recoup some points I could have been losing. So I started, you know, coming back a little bit early. I was playing again. And then I started to notice that even though I had this surgery that was supposed to make everything better, it was still really bad. So I was playing and I was playing and I was having minor success. And then I was losing to some people that I should have been beating. And then, you know, I, I was every single night I'd lay in bed and I'd say, do I really want to keep doing this? Like I was at a crossroads. I was 24 years old. In my mind, I'm like, this is the only thing that I've done my whole life and I love it, but I'm in so much pain. Like what else could I be doing? So mm. I was really, really terrified. And it was just the fear of the unknown. Like, what am I going to do next? And right. everybody around me saying, you know, no, you can't stop. No, this is normal. Just keep playing when they're not the ones that are actually on the court dealing with that pain or having to feel it on a day-to-day basis and knowing that when your body is your sole source of income, it's a different kind of pressure. So I was like, at one point, I finally said, you know, enough is enough. I'm going to stop. I'm going to make it official. And I officially retired. And I immediately was like, um, what am I going to do? Okay, I'm going to get into real estate. And the reason why I was like, I'm going to get into real estate was because my aunt, who's Sharon Mill, she's phenomenal, and I've always had a really, really similar personality to her. She's very dynamic and warm and welcoming and really great with people, and she's been so successful, and she did real estate, so I was like, I'm going to do what she does. So I immediately, like, within the first week of retiring from tennis, I already had passed my real estate course and was ready to take, like, the national exam. Like, I, I moved <laughs> very, very quickly out of the sport. So it was crazy. That's I didn't awesome. have a lot of time to, like, reflect. So I did go through, like, a minor depression of about two weeks of, like, kind of feeling like, Mm -hmm. I guess what I'll I'll explain like this. When you go from being a professional athlete and everybody cares about what you're doing and you're kind of, you know, important in the eyes of your your team and your camp and your fans or whatever, and then you you leave that environment and now you feel like, who am I? Like, what Mm -hmm. what am I doing now? And and you kind of go through this, like, identity crisis. So I immediately had to kind of pull it together and say, like, you know what, Danielle, like, you're not going to be playing tennis anymore, but you're going to be known for something. So I just kind of used that mindset to kind of propel me past that short period of minor depression. But a lot of former athletes talk about that because when you leave the, the one thing that makes you feel validated, you feel really empty. So that was rough, but we, we good now. Right, right. Where are you? <laughs> you are good, good. That is so real what you said, because I hear that a lot about people in the military, especially when it comes to, like, officers. Um, because, yeah. like, they're, they get to, like, a certain rank, and everybody knows them by their rank, not necessarily who they are, and then they retire, and they're in the real world, and it's like, oh, I'm major such and such, I'm lieutenant colonel such and such, and colonel. People, civilians don't recognize that. They have no, right. no, your name is Bob. You sit right here next to me in this cubicle. I'm finna go for the day. You know what I mean? Like their whole, their status, their identity and everything is wrapped up into that. So when they step away from it, a lot of them go through like, it's one, it's the culture shock, like you just said. And then two, it's a lot on like the individual person. Like, okay, well, who am I now? Like, what am I doing? So it's great that I hear that because you were so grounded and who you were, like, you only gave yourself that small amount of time to kind of feel that depression because you were already, like, you already knew you were a boss. Like, that was literally ingrained to you. Um, not necessarily in those terms, because that's the cultural term that we're using right now, but you knew who you were and that you couldn't stay down for long and you acted on it, so. Right. 
I had to. I couldn't. I couldn't stay down for too long because I had too many people to prove wrong. There was all these people who were like, oh, now you're done. What are you going to do now? And people kept saying, are you going to come back? Are you going to come back? And I had to show like, no, I'm done with that chapter in my life. I'm starting a new chapter. And when I go into this new chapter, I'm going to go into it 110%. So I was so focused on trying to make it outside of tennis Mm -hmm. and have a different identity. So that was another thing was trying to create who is Danielle Mills without the sport. Nice. So, tell us that now. So, who is Danielle Mills? Like, what does she do now? (laughs) So, Danielle Mills is a owner of a company called Headstrong that I'm extremely excited and proud of. It's something that I've been working on for a very long time, Mm -hmm. thinking about, working on, thinking about, and basically the whole focus of our company is to show ordinary people how they can reach their fullest potential by adapting a champion's mindset and we show people how to do that because what I've noticed in life just going about meeting hundreds of thousands of people throughout the course of my life Mm -hmm. is that the one thing that's holding people back is between their two ears it's their mindset Mm -hmm. that is what's holding people back so what I do is I help people unleash their fullest potential and help them get there so for the listeners so far y'all have already heard that she is a champion, and she literally knows what she's talking about. So make sure you guys are listening to the rest of these details. Because as soon as you said that, I was like, because, honey, you got experience. <laughs> so um, with that, so what is your why? What led you to actually, like, creating Headstrong outside of, like, knowing that people's struggle with, you know, their thoughts? What led you to actually creating this? Um, I've always been told that I've, that I'm an extremely positive person and that I always am very upbeat and look at the glass half full and just have this like positive energy about me. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that comes just really natural for me and I don't think about it, but a lot of that is really ingrained in me from a young age and the training and the up, upbringing that I had. So a lot of the stuff that I'm, I'm doing innately came from repetition and practice and all of that stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, when it came down to making this company, I said, how can I kind of take what I've been taught and kind of what I have innately and be able to share that with the masses because it gives me the greatest amount of joy and passion if I can help transform somebody else and help them reach their fullest potential because everybody has a potential. But most people are not able to reach their fullest potential because their mindset is holding them back or there's an obstacle that's preventing them for or they don't have the belief or the self-confidence. And my goal is to kind of break them out of that and allow them to reach towards the impossible because you can't achieve it. I get so fired up even talking about it. It is. Yes. Secondly, another reason why I wanted to make this company and push so hard for it is because I've worked with a number of different companies throughout my career, aligned myself with a lot of different organizations and pushed very hard, but I always wanted to be able to do something that is 100% my own, with my own um, thoughts behind it, my own passion behind it, and Mm -hmm. have it be exactly how I would want it to be. So I'm really enjoying the fact that this is truly my own company, and I can kind of make it however I want it to be. So that's kind of another part that I'm loving about, about Headstrong. Nice. I feel like there's a big, like, take that for, like, all the people that were like, so now what you gonna do? Like... Yeah. like a real like one of those like shaking the table kind of moments do you remember that whole thing like shaking the table i don't know yes. it was. yeah so 
the table is shaking. So how do you do that? Like, do you do like mentorship? Do you like what's what's how does Headstrong work? So basically, there's a couple different ways that Headstrong works. One of the ways that's the most popular is there's a course, a live course that I teach, and I'm actually about to be starting a new course that's going to be launching on the 25th of the month. So guys, stay tuned and sign up for that. Um, Basically, the course is a six-week long course, and it's very, very in-depth and and hands-on, and we kind of dive into a lot of different things. It's a small group, very one-on-one kind of environment. That's Mm -hmm. one avenue. Another avenue that I'm in the process of working on now is my book, and the book is going to be available, and I'm really excited about I can't go into too much detail about the book yet because there's so much to kind of go into there. That's fair. But the last thing that um, I have to is I do one-on-one individual trainings as well. So those can be done either in person or via webinar. So those are the three different avenues right now that you have the opportunity to work with me personally through Headstrong. And it's just, just growing from here. So I'm just really excited because I feel like so many people I can help. So yes. Like ready ready to, to get, it, get it rolling. Yes. So for, I have a question about the one-on-one. So for the one-on-one trainings, as far as helping people kind of reach their fullest potential, like if somebody is trying to figure out, you know, I don't know what I want out of life. I don't know what I want to do, but I know I want more. Like, are you, are you like open or are you a part of like that process of like helping people, you know, figure out what it is that like really not necessarily sticks with them, but like just kind of providing like a light or like a road to kind of help them find out, you know, maybe what it is that they could do to get them to that point. Yes, absolutely. The first step with any, one-on-one training that I do is I do a discovery call with people, so that's where I'm going to basically ask a number of different questions that will help me identify, you know, what this person is trying to achieve, what they're looking for, and for those individuals who are not sure what they're trying to do or they're kind of lost, I ask a lot of probing questions that get them thinking and able to kind of determine, you know, what is their why, what is their passion, what what excites them, Mm -hmm. what, what would they be doing if they weren't having to pay bills or, you know, if they didn't have responsibilities, what would they be doing? So these kind of questions kind of probe the person or the audience to kind of start thinking beyond, you know, I have my job, I have my career and that monotonous way of life into thinking, you know, what am I really passionate about? What drives me? What gets me excited? And that's kind of what helps me kind of mold the course kind of around that. That's awesome. That's awesome, because I know there's a lot of people that, like, I think that was, yeah, on my last episode, I talked about that, where people, like, they sometimes they don't know what their gift is, so they can't operate in their gift. They can't fine-tune their gift. They can't do any of that stuff, because they have absolutely no idea what it is. So I think it's amazing that you can kind of, like, help people at least, like, face a certain direction, or at least find out what direction they're standing in, because... When you don't know where to go and where you are, like, you can't even help yourself. But if there's somebody there to kind of help you maybe turn a little to the right or a little to the left and actually see where you are and who you are, not necessarily who you are, but to a certain extent who you are, so that you can become your best self, like, I think that's so beautiful. Exactly. Everybody has their own unique thing about them that makes them special that makes them them and it's just about unlocking that special uniqueness about you that you can channel everybody has it oh my gosh 
excited for everybody that is just like about to get in y'all circle. First of all, y'all, yes, I do know that I sound like a fangirl. I am. It's fine. <laughs> y'all are going to get like connected to Danielle and y'all are also going to be fangirls and guys. So it's perfectly fine. And y'all are going to be working with her to whatever extent because I definitely know that I am. I just, I just can't wait. So my last question before I ask where people can find you and how they can get connected to Headstrong and all that great stuff is um, if you were still in tennis, still doing tennis actively on a professional level, do you think that you would have still found yourself here reaching out to people in this way? You know, that's a really, really good question, and I think yes, absolutely, because even back when I was playing tennis and traveling all over the world with a, a group of a group of women that we were kind of on the same tour with, the same circle with, I found myself doing a lot of the same mentorship that I'm doing now back then. It was just in a different capacity because nice. tennis is an extremely hard grind. It's a sport where... You know, one week you're having the best week of your life. The next week you are in a foreign continent country and you've lost in the first round and you have to figure out what am I going to do now. So it's like mm. there's so many ups and downs in the sport. So having that having that champion's mindset to kind of get you through those moments really makes a difference. So yeah, even when strong. I was playing the sport and I was focused on being the best athlete I could be, I was always thinking in the back of my head, you know, what is something that I could be doing with the kind of mindset that I have. So that mentorship was there. So I, so long as you answer your question, yes, I do feel, feel like even if I was still playing the sport, I would have been thinking about this in this capacity because it's so something that's so passionate, I have like a lot of um, excitement about. Yeah, I definitely think so. Awesome. Okay, last question, because I know I said that was the last question. But um, <laughs> so you mentioned when you were traveling, um, you did a lot of this, or you were surrounded by women, obviously, because you're a woman and you were playing tennis against other women. Got it. Mm-hmm. Right now, there's like a movement of like girl power slash women mentorship groups slash women teach. Like a lot of people are focusing a lot of things on women. Is this, is Headstrong? also open to men as well oh absolutely headstrong is not not yes. specific. y'all out here fellas everybody headstrong does not discriminate guys it's for everyone <laughs> that's awesome i'm so happy to hear that because lately i just i hear so much and a lot of people have passions you know strictly to help women um so i'm really happy to hear that there are still these same opportunities out here for the men to be their best self as well. So that gives me yeah. great joy. I found that a lot of my best clientele that I've worked with have been men because a lot of times men don't feel like they have an outlet or a way to express themselves or to even identify a lot of these things. So just through working with some of the men I've worked with recently, mm-hmm. I'm finding that this is so transformative and powerful for them too and they actually can see even better results sometimes than the women who are used to kind of speaking about their feelings and what's going on and what's happening Hmm. gotcha so for them it's more like i feel like you sounded like you were saying it was like sometimes for men it's a lot more enlightening so they have like this different like push yeah like outlook and push because it's like oh that's literally never come to me in that way, as opposed to, like you said, because women, we tend to 
some of us tend to talk a little bit. Um, <laughs> Women just be Googling everything, trying to figure out what's wrong with them. That too. Oh my gosh. I'm not even going to go there because I will be mid-conversation and not understand something and be like, uh-uh, hold on, let me Google this. Like, Google is, like, my best friend. I'm surprised, like, my Google Home isn't going off now because I keep saying Google. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where can the people find you in Headstrong? How can they get connected? Okay, so to get connected and to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram at Daniela underscore Boricua, spelled B-O-R-I-C-U-A. You can follow Headstrong on Instagram as well at at Headstrong LLC. So that's Headstrong LLC. Those are the two um, best ways to get a hold of me. Everything is there. Um, for those of you who are on LinkedIn, please connect with me too. I'm definitely starting a movement with my LinkedIn, so connect with me on there, and nice. I will keep you very, very entertained with my content on LinkedIn too. So I don't know how to, you know, praise my LinkedIn, but it's basically to search <laughs> Danielle Mills, and I'll probably pop up. You'll see me. Find her <laughs> and Headstrong on. on well, okay, that's awesome. Find both. Danielle and Headstrong on Instagram first, so you know who page to click on when you see Danielle Mills on LinkedIn. Yes, definitely. That will make it a lot easier. Look, yeah, yeah. Boom. Yeah, I have a picture wearing um on my Instagram. What else I picture of? Dang, I don't remember. Okay, on my on my LinkedIn, there's a picture of me in like a, a green blazer. You'll definitely can't miss it. Boom. But I look forward to connecting with all of you guys and helping you reach your fullest potential and keep listening to Alana. She's phenomenal. Thanks, darling. Anyways. (laughs) All right, y'all. Thanks for listening. Even though leaving a good place can be hard to do, it'll always be worth it when true happiness is the goal. Opportunities are everywhere. Are you prepared to take them? Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time, keep in mind, this is about your changeover.